Good morning. Thank you for joining us this morning. Love that music. It's like a superhero theme song, and Sarah's tired because I play it every time I walk into the house. And I mean, <laughs> join me in your copy of God's Word or in your devices to Acts chapter one. Uh, Acts chapter one. We're going to read verses one through eleven. We're continuing our series on the five runways or the strategies of discipleship here at Hebron Baptist Church. And today we're going to look at how we are called to make disciples who go on mission. And this is uh, our last uh, runway uh, as sort of taxing, moving disciples. Our ultimate goal is to send you uh, across the street with our partners around here in northern Kentucky or around the globe with our partners international. So today we're going to look at the call that the church and disciples have for going on mission. So if you would begin, we'll just read together in Acts chapter 1 and verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after he had suffered, he had also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days." So when he had come together, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up as they were watching and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this faithful account of your son's ascension and coming to you there in heaven. But Lord, as we seek the instructions of the word, we pray, God, that you would burn a fire and passion in us for the nations and for the lost in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you read this text, your mind and your eyes normally go to the miraculous event of the ascension of Jesus. Uh, there's not every day that someone it raises from the ground and disappears into the cloud. We know that this is a miraculous event and something that's important in the ministry and life of Jesus. We know that it's important because it shows that Jesus' work is completed. It shows his uh, uh, pay, uh, payment for our sins and his resurrection, his work and earthly ministry is done. We see that it also signifies that he has now received a, an authority greater than one before, that he is now at the right hand of the Father, and the Father has given him reign and rule over all the universe, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What name? Jesus' name. And we also know that in this event, we see that in Christ receiving this authority, 
he gets the authority that he may pass it on to us. You see, as we look and we see this ascension story, we might quickly read over the importance of what happens here. That this, the ascension is a visual showing of Jesus leaving earth and telling his disciples, my ministry will continue, just not with me here. My ministry, my work, my authority, my power will continue, but it's going to come through you. That that same authority that I have is now given to you. And in a few days, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit and you're going to continue this ministry while I'm in heaven. This is very important because we need to understand that as disciples, that our mission, and especially as the gathered church, is kingdom building on mission. Now try to wrap our mind around this. There are many things that Jesus could have done uh, to continue his mission. He could have done many different ways, but in his sovereign care and authority and wisdom, he has chosen that we play a part and a role of him redeeming the world of taking the gospel, of telling people who have never heard about the good news of Jesus Christ. It is essential then to see this text that Jesus' ascension is the beginning of the commissioning of the disciples to take the gospel to the end of the earth. And we have to understand this because that is what the rest of the book is about. That God, that Christ is building his kingdom through his disciples beginning there in Jerusalem to the end of the earth. The ringing question, if while I am reading this myself, and as we are reading this together, is that am I, are we being faithful by continuing the work of Jesus as a disciple and following him? Am I continuing the mission that Jesus has given us? Now, before I want to to go on too far, I want us to help us clarify the term mission. The church is called out believers gathered to continue the mission of Jesus. What is that mission? Well, that mission is go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and teaching them everything they have given, where, beginning in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. That is the mission. We need to be clear that the mission or missions is taking the gospel to places and across barriers that have not received the gospel. We need to be clear about the word because sometimes in our haste or in our unclarity to say that every activity the church does is a mission or on work, then we lose what the true mission is. It's like the evaluation of someone doing something well. I take my car to get the oil changed. And at the end, they give you that printout, right? That evaluation of all the things they did. And my whole reason for taking the car there was to get my oil changed. And they go through the list and I said, they, they, I said so what did you do? They said, well, we checked the air in your tires. Okay, did you change my oil? Well, I checked your windshield wiper fluid. Well, did you check... You know, did you check the oil? Did you change the oil? Well, we, we, you know, we made sure the balance of the tires were right. You know, we checked your battery. We, they go through this. Well, look, I came here 
to get my oil changed. Well, we serviced your car. We serviced your car. No, I came to get my oil changed. Well, the same thing, so we need to be clear about the mission is because we need to make sure the term or the real reason, the real mission of Christ is getting done. If everything is the mission, then nothing is the mission. Let's clarify this verbiage. This is kind of written out in several different ways, but Andy Johnson helps us to understand what the term missions means. Missions meaning the unique, deliberate gospel mission of the church to make disciples of all the nations. I mean evangelism that takes the gospel across ethnic, linguistic, and geographic boundaries that gathers churches and teaches them to obey everything Jesus commanded. So maybe to put it more succinctly, missions equals evangelism plus barrier crossing evangelism plus barrier crossing this is what missions means yes we talked already about multiplying through gospel conversations and that is what every believer is to do is to share the gospel be clear about the gospel share jesus have gospel conversations call people to repent and believe but the term missions or going on missions is something different it means we're crossing a barrier to share the gospel If we're not careful, if we sit and claim everything to be mission, then we lose sight of the mission. As Stephen Neal says, if everything is mission, then nothing is mission. If everything the church does is to be classed as mission, then we shall need to find another term. So we as individuals and churches need to be sold out with the ultimate goal of making disciples who go to the ends of the earth, whether they're to be our uh, missions partners here in northern Kentucky to reach across the barriers uh, or to be international partners with our international missions. So, well, why does it matter uh, that the term, what the term is, is because we need to be all using the same term. Let's consider that I were to, that you were to take, go to a, a restaurant and, and your child begins to go in anaphylactic shock and you administer the EpiPen and you, you get them settled down and they're okay and you talk to the waiter and you say, you know, what happened here? My child is allergic to shellfish and, and you, you know, we, they got shellfish and the, and the waiter says, well, you know, I don't know, shellfish, chicken, animal protein, it's all the same to me. Well, in that moment, definitions matter, right? It's important to know what we're saying and what we're doing. So for us, we need to be clear that going on mission matters and going across barriers, whether they're linguistic uh, groups. Uh, even when we go to Salt Lake City, we're going to a group that is more often than not going to be a Mormon culture. They need to understand the gospel that is real and is true. So in this passage, we are reminded then, it is clear that we as believers of Jesus Christ must be going on mission. And in this passage, excuse me, there are four reasons we must go. First of all, we must go on mission because it's the truth about Christ. Because it is the truth about Christ. Now, in verse chapter, yeah, verses one through three, uh, it is the opening of this book. It is very similar. We know that the physician Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and Acts, and he begins the first book very similarly, but it is pr- 
uh, prescribed or transcribed here to someone else, Theophilus. Now, this is generically termed friend of God. Now, we don't know who Theophilus was. Maybe he, that was his real name because that was in the Greek, was a common, uh, common vernacular. It could have been a high-ranking official uh, that uh, was trying to keep his, uh, his identity safe from other Roman officials. But whatever his status, Theophilus needed clarification and assurance about the understanding of Christianity that he has so far received. Our Lord helps us to see that this is one of the most important callings we have. Why do we go on mission? Because the truth about the gospel, the truth about Jesus. Listen to what Luke says. All about Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit, after he had suffered and presented himself alive to many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a 40-day period and speaking about the kingdom of God. Luke wanted to get across the reality and truth about Jesus. You see, brothers and sisters, the, the reason we go on mission is not because we have some sort of... Uh, emotional tug we have a true reason to get the name of Jesus to people who cannot hear it Jesus matters we can talk about every religion on the planet and it all boils down to one question who do you say Jesus is and he is the reason that we go. As a matter of fact, just taking even our scripture from last week when Jesus said in Luke 24, he says, then he opened their minds understanding the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. This is Jesus' explanation and his mission to say, this is the important message that you're going with. It's not a message of hope. It's not just a message of kindness. It's just not a message of love. It's not just a, this generalized message. It's a message about me. It's a message about the truth of who I am and what I did on the cross and how someone can come to faith in me. You know, one of the most important reasons and the most driving forces that we should be going uh, on mission is because we know if, if we trust the Bible and we know the Bible is true and we know that it's real, that Jesus talked about hell more than any other thing. And the reality is if we know that hell is real, that it is real for people who are separated from Jesus, that our hearts should burn knowing that we have the way for someone, for someone to, be, to escape hell, and the reality of hell only comes through the name of Jesus. And Jesus came in order that men and women who are living and born in sin under the wrath of God, that we might escape because he paid for that wrath. He took the wrath for us. And by trusting in him, we come to him as father and we become to him as children. And this is the message that Jesus said that we might know this message. Not that we would improve the world, but that the world might be redeemed through his name. We 
know what Martin Lloyd-Jones had said in writing and thinking about this passage. He said, that is the message of Christianity. That is what has made the church what it is. Do men and women need to be told about some kind of program that will give them a better condition? That is not the greatest need. Our greatest need is to know God. If we were all given a fortune, would that solve our problem? Would that solve our moral problem? Would that solve the problem of death? Would that solve the problem of eternity? Of course not. The message of Christianity is not about improving the world, but about changing people in spite of the world, preparing them for the glory that is yet to come. This Jesus is active and acting to that end, and he will go until all redeemed are gathered in, and then he will return, and the final judgment will take place, and his kingdom will stretch from shore to shore. Now, we know this is the message, but how does this message be made known? Well, here we see the picture that Jesus is saying that this message now will be made known through you, through me. He is saying to his disciples, I'm going to send you out to preach. I want you to tell of repentance and remission of sin is only possible in my name, beginning in Jerusalem to all the nations. I do not care what color, class, or creed people are. The human race is one. Humanity is one sin, under one wrath, under one destiny of hell. And there's only one Savior. And all of us should be witnesses about him. Brothers and sisters, the reality is stark when we understand the vast lostness of the world, of the 7.75 billion people alive in the world today, 3.2 billion of them live in unreached places. This is a travesty that the gospel in this day and age has not been able to reach. What does this mean we need to go? Little people who are dying every day without the hope of the gospel. 157,937 people are dying daily across the globe without Jesus. Friends, that is the same population of Coral Gables, Florida. If they were just to be wiped off the face of the earth one time every day. The reality of our lostness is true And we must have a passion to go because we know the truth about Christ. We have heard about him. We know the reality of hell. We know how to escape it through faith and grace in Christ. We know and we need to go, which leads to number two. We go on mission because we are empowered with Christ. Verse 4 through 5, he says, he is with them and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. The good news for us is as we go, we are not just going at it alone, but actually even more. Jesus says that I will be with you to the end of the age, but how will he be with us? We are inhabited by the Holy Spirit of God. The gift that Father has promised, we know, is the Holy Spirit. 
When Jesus talks about this, he's not trying to, to, to put into argument that there's one more powerful, uh, there's a baptism of the Spirit or the baptism by water, and, and there should be two stages. He's not arguing that. What he's saying is John saw the sign of power as when someone trusts in Christ, but the true sign of power is when we know in just a few days the Holy Spirit has ascended on believers in Acts And this spirit, this power, empowers believers. Today, if you have trusted in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit within you to do ministry, to be led by God, to be be for repentance of sins, to to do great things for God. This is the promised helper that Jesus spoke about all throughout John when he says, Nevertheless, I'm telling you that it is your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go... I will send him to you. Growing as disciples means that we grow in our dependence on the Spirit. It means that we are trusting him to put off sin and to put on Christ. It means that we're trusting in him to guide us and understand the Bible. But it is also trusting in the Spirit as we go on mission. And there's no other place that you need to depend on Spirit, on the Spirit, than when you're on on mission. Anyone who's gone on any mission trip or gone on any, on any work will know that the Spirit of God is real. We, we need the Spirit just for patience in the, in the airports. We need the Spirit of God uh, to grow us that we might understand when to share the gospel. When I was in London, I knew that as I, was, I was, uh, had, had built relationships there in the hotel, I, I found someone that, that the Holy Spirit led me to because I knew that he was a person of peace, someone that, that God was already working on and asking questions about. When I was in Nicaragua, the Holy Spirit enabled me to share the gospel where pe- dozens of people were saved. But just in practicality of the flexibility that is needed on mission, the understanding of endurance and strength that is needed on mission. Brothers and sisters, we go because Christ has enabled us, empowered us, and gives us the sending ability to go. We don't need to worry when we go on mission. We don't need to worry when we send our children or our young adults. We don't need to worry for our own safety because the power of the Spirit is going with us. And we need the Spirit to go to the ends of the earth. Because people need Christ, and we are enabled by the Spirit to go. And that leads to number three. We go on mission because of the command of Christ. Verse 6 through 8, Jesus, uh, continuing on, Luke's continuing on. So when they had all come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set on his own authority, but you will receive Power when the Holy Spirit has come along you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Brothers and sisters, we see here as an example that even in those days, people were preoccupied with nuances and things that didn't matter about the mission of God. The disciples were expecting Jesus to restore the 
the, the kingdom in, in a, a particular event, and they were even among themselves. When's Jesus going to do it? When's he going to do this? When's he going to come back? And even today, we know people argue about the dates and times and the expectation of what is correct when Jesus will come. But brothers and sisters, discipleship is not about knowing times and dates. It's about being ready, and it's about, being, and it's about going. In Acts, the means of receiving this Holy Spirit's power is resulted in being witnesses. Now here in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this is the fifth version of what we would call the commission or great commission. We, we all know and quickly go to the Matthew chapter 28 version, but five times four over all uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in Acts, the same commission is given to the people. And John, Jesus says he is sending us. In Acts and Luke, it is recorded as we are to be his witnesses. But in Matthew and also in Mark, it is clear that it is a command, an imperative, go. Matthew 28, it says, go therefore. And Mark, it says, go and you into all the world and preach the gospel. This Greek word, pori, easy for me to say, huh? Porothentes means go. And it is, a, it is a challenge. It is a command. And therefore, we understand that as believers, that not only when we are going, are we just going because we have the good news of Jesus, but because we are being faithful to the command and being obedient disciples to Jesus. Therefore, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a faithful follower, as a disciple, we have no choice but to obey Jesus. And here at Hebron Baptist Church, we want to help each other be obedient and be faithful and go on mission. This is a command we cannot ignore. The great Lottie Moon, in whom our offering is named after, who went and gave her life uh, to the Chinese mission, says, A young man should ask himself not if his duty is to go to the heathen, but if he may dare stay at home. The command is so plain, go. Brothers and sisters, we cannot say that we have never been commanded. We have never been called because we have been called. We have been commanded. We have been called to take the hope to the dying world. William Booth was uh, quoted as saying, not called, did you say? Not heard the call? I think you should say, Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. Put your ear down to the burdened, agonized heart of humanity and listens to its pitiful wail for help. Go stand by the gates of hell and hear the damned entreat you to go to their father's house and bid their brothers and sisters and servants and masters not to come there. Then look Christ in the face whose mercy you have professed to obey and tell him whether you will join heart and soul and body and circumstances in the march to publish his mercy around the world. Brothers and sisters, are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Then you must be following what Jesus has said. And he calls us to go. Because he has called us, we must. Which leads to number four. We go on mission because of the joy 
that will be at the coming of Christ. Now, verses 9 through 11 record the ascension of Jesus. After he had said this, he was taken up and they were watching and a cloud took him in their sight. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing looking up at heaven? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Now just for a second think, Jesus had told the disciples that they need to go. Now this was a pretty impactful command because he was calling them to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles. This was a severe call because asking a Jew to go to Samaria and tell people about Jesus was a countercultural argument. It was to go against everything they were brought up to believe. It was to go over a significant geographical and cultural barrier to overcome. Samaria was geographically close but culturally remote. They, they had a disagreement about about worship and about God and about temple worship and, and all these different things. And they thought they were blasphemers over in Samaria. And yet God was saying, you need to go there. And t Jesus was saying, you need to go there and tell them about me. He said, you need to go to the remotest parts of the world. That involved tremendous geographical and cultural separation in a time where they didn't go sit at the airport and then hop a plane. They were walking, riding, going, giving up not just a, a, a short week trip overseas, but they were giving up years of their life to do this. Brothers and sisters, consider the calling and the cost. And yet, what did Jesus do? Jesus ascended to heaven. And in both a verbal command and now in a transcendent or in a visual way says brothers and sisters I have done the work that I've come to do now and you need to go we must not overlook this point that we are called and because Jesus is in heaven he has given the authority for us to go. But what drives us at this point is the joy that we know that Christ is coming again. What, what happened at the ascension? Two messengers, two angels showed up. They're sitting there, and, and I'm sure that if I was there, that I'd be like, you know, mouth open. Is he coming back? Like, is this a joke? Okay, is he behind us? No, he's still up there. Waiting. And these messengers show up. And they say, guys, why are you still looking there? Jesus has already told you what to do next. Go and wait on the helper. But here's good news. He's coming back in the same way. You see, this 
we see this story of Jesus encapsulated right here that Jesus has come, paid for our sins. He's left and gone to heaven. And there's the promise that he's coming again in the same way. And we know in this wonderful good news that Jesus is taken to a place called heaven, but he's coming back in the same way. We can't read this and be ex- not be excited as believers knowing that our Savior is coming back for us. But we also know that when Jesus comes again, it is the beginning of, of bringing and redeeming all the world to himself, bringing of judgment, bringing to the end. But the hope that we have in the coming new heavens and new earth is that Jesus, the, the ultimate story, is that God who is, has created us for his glory and has gathered us to bring him glory. And one of the greatest experiences that we will have is when we gather at the feet of the throne and we will worship together of all people, all redeemed, all nations, all people, the one who made it possible that we are saved and in heaven for all eternity. Those created for God's glory will be gathered and we will bring him glory for all eternity. And one of the, the greatest experiences of worship I ever have is when I am in a, a room of multi-ethnic Christians from all over the globe and we're singing about Jesus. We have the reality that our Jesus is not an Americanized version of Jesus. It is a global, national cosmic Jesus. He is bringing all those who come to know him into his fold, into his family, and we will be there for eternity. When I was in London, we were in a worship service where at least 30 countries were represented, and we were singing about the same Jesus when I was in Nicaragua, and I had no clue what was going on in the worship service there, but I do know this. Jesus was who we were worshiping. The great joy that that we will have is we will gather one day all ethne, all people, every people group, every nation will join in worship of the king. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you were purchased people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. Brothers and sisters, we Go on mission because it is a great joy to be a part and see just just to play a little role of what will happen one day in all eternity when we know that we will gather in his name. Church, we must proclaim the ultimate, reclaim the ultimate role God has given us of evangelizing and discipling in order that we go across the planet and across the world. Good news for us is that we have partners that we can go across these barriers, both here in Northern Kentucky, we can go across the barriers here in America, we can go across barriers around the world. Here in Northern Kentucky, we have some of the largest Muslim populations over in NKU that we can go partner with Josh Skipper and others and partner over there. We have over in Utah, we've talked about already of the, the great cult that has blinded people from the truth about Jesus Christ that we can partner with redeeming life and go and tell of the good news and the grace of God. We can go with our partners in London where it is truly the seat of the world where the world comes to them and share the gospel as they go back to their countries and tell everyone who is lost about Jesus. 
the question we must ask ourselves, am I going? Am I going? Am I being faithful in this? Am I going myself? Am I raising up my family to go? Am I planning for when my, my child will go on their first missions trip? When, am I planning on how, how we're going to take as a family the, the name of Jesus to the nations or, or across cultural barriers? How am I going to be a part of what the church is doing and the partners that they've already planned to take up? And, you know, this is sort of when I start to hear conversation, not just at Hebron Baptist, but in other churches, well, what are you going to do about your backyard? How are you focused on your backyard? How are you going to focus on the lost in your backyard? Which when I, I would kindly ask those people who asked that question, great question. We are concerned about sharing the gospel in our backyard here in northern Kentucky. Let me ask you, how many people have you shared the gospel with? Because God has placed you here. We're talking about going to places where people don't have access to Jesus. They don't have a, a saved neighbor to hear the gospel from. They don't have a church down the street to tell and point them to Jesus. So how does people reach northern Kentucky, Boone County, your neighborhood? It's through you. And that's evangelism. We're talking about going on mission together. And we need to understand and believe in our heart that I believe that as we read the Bible and as we pray and we say God changes to be more like Jesus, brothers and sisters, I believe that our hearts will break because Christ's heart breaks for the nations. And as you grow in your faith, you should be more concerned about the nations. I believe your heart will grow if you're truly trusting Christ for the lost everywhere. But ultimately, we need to know that we would be derelict in our duties as disciples if we're not going on mission. We must be disciples who make disciples to the ends of the earth. Mark Dever says, so think once more of the four commands of the Great Commission. Go make, go make disciples, baptize, and teach. Who does all this? Who sends out the going Christians to make disciples? The local church. And who names them as disciples by baptizing them and helps them to grow by teaching them? The local church does. The local church is the normal means God has given for us to fulfill the Great Commission. I am thankful and will be Southern Baptist prayerfully till my tying day because of what is happening through the International Mission Board. Right now, we get Facebook updates for our brothers and sisters in Christ right now being trained to go overseas to fulfill the Great Commission right now. And we are thankful that we give a part of our every dollar that comes in to, to send and train missionaries, that we are so thankful that we are partnered with the thousands of other churches to do this, to give Lottie Moon Christmas offerings. But friends, we cannot... We cannot be satisfied by just sending a buck and thinking we're being part of the Great Commission. Christ did not die for a mission board. He died for the church. He didn't send structures. He sends people. And it should be part of our passion 
as believers for God to be raising up people to go across barriers to share the gospel. So what is the implications of this? Well, the church must be intentional about reaching the nations. It has to be thought about, prayed about, planned and and monetarily. Everything must be intentional. There must be a willingness of the church to invest its resources, time and money to reach the nations. And there must be willingness among individuals and families to go on mission. That's it. That is the call. That is the challenge. That is being faithful. That is the reason we must go. So we introduced to you today, we've been talking about it the last few weeks, the next one in 2021. We want you to know that our challenge that we've talked about is not something that we feel like looks cool on the website or, or, or sounds literally great or, or you know, was a cool sermon series because it worked out five weeks and we needed something there. No, this is the strategy for the church that we magnify Christ in worship, that we mature in our faith through life groups, that we multiply the gospel through gospel conversations, that we, that we uh, mentor others in the Bible and gospel and being faithful and following Jesus, that it results in people to go on mission with our partners. And so that is is our challenge. Who will be and what will do purposefully, each one of us, for our next one in 2021? We have put wristbands out uh, to reintroduce this to us because 2020 was a train wreck, let's be honest with you. And I want you to know that this wristband is not a magic wristband. If you just wear it, it doesn't happen. The mission does not happen. This does not happen just by wearing it. It is a reminder to you to do several things. There's a picture of the church to invite people to church. Who's the next one? in 2021 that you're going to invite to church this week and next week and the next week who's the next one the cross to remind us who are we multiplying gospel conversations to who's the next one this week and next week that we're going to share the gospel with the hook the fishing hook unfortunately to my son it doesn't mean to remind her to go fishing or he wants fishing season to come quicker. It is a reminder to say, who am I going to disciple? Who am I going to mentor? I'm going to fish for people. Who am I going to mentor one-on-one this year? We have the dinner plate to remind us who we're going to have over to our house to have relationships with, maybe in our neighborhood, our family member, to intentionally have gospel conversations with. And then the house. How are we going to invite people and be in our home and make our home the center of the gospel? Who's that next one? See, brothers and sisters, we're not just putting this to be cool, but to be obedient to Christ. So who's the next one for you in 2021? Where are you going to go? Maybe this next question, where's the next trip you're going to go when, when things open up where when mark says hey we're going to go to with this partner we're going to go with this partner where are you signing up how are you going to be a part how are we praying 
for the world? How are we praying for the lost? How are we praying for our church? All this comes together as we make disciples together. Brothers and sisters, I'm excited about what God is doing and already has done at Hebrew Baptist Church. But I know as we are more faithful, the more faithful we will become to the Great Commission. Let's do this prayerfully together with his spirit and his power. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your call and the empowerment that you give us in the church. Help us here at Hebron Baptist Church to be faithful. Help us first to have a heart that's changed. I pray right now, Lord, that you would change our hearts from the cold apathy and lack of concern for the lost in our world to wondering how our neighbors and the world may come to know Jesus. I pray, God, that you would help us as we trust to know Christ better, that we're more faithful, that we're more dependent, and that, God, as we seek together to disciple each other, grow in the word, grow as we follow Jesus, magnify him in our lives, that there will be an outpouring of our church to see Young people go and spend two years on the mission field. Retired couples go and spend years on the mission field. That we see people go for short term and long term. That we see, God, you using Hebron Baptist Church to impact Boone County, Northern Kentucky, and the world for you. God, I pray that we would have this as the passion and fire of our heart but that we intentionally disciple, challenge, and encourage, and pray for each other until you return again. We ask this in Jesus' name I pray.